You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now here is a New Year's resolution that you can actually keep. Add Stamps.com to your business and save a ton of time and money this year. I love that Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to my computer. You see, to me... Stamps.com is the better way to get postage. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage for any letter or package, any class of mail, and then let the mailman pick it up. You don't have to leave your office, and there's no more lugging mail to the post office. There is no more hassle. I love Stamps.com because it does save me time and money. Almost everything that I can do at the post office, I now do right from my desk. Plus, Stamps.com has postage discounts that you cannot get at the post office. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those super expensive postage meters. Stamps.com makes it easy. Stamps.com sends you a digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage so you never overpay or underpay for postage ever again. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer which includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Are you ready for a happier new year? Then go to Stamps.com and click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Rome. Once again, Stamps.com, enter Rome, Stamps.com, enter to Rome. I wanted to control the bike and save the bike because I paid my own hard money for this bike and in the midst of doing so I grabbed the throttle even more because my momentum was shifting me backwards. Next thing you know the bottom wheel spins out now I'm on an angle and I look up and I hit a utility pole going around 70 miles per hour and uh, that was the day my life started. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast, episode number 21 now. The podcast keeps rolling, and once again, we have an outstanding episode waiting for you because my guest, Jay Williams, is a fascinating person. Now, you may know his story. A national champion at Duke, the number two pick overall in the NBA draft, the heir to 23 in Chicago. Jay had it all, a ready-made star out of Duke, and then seemingly lost it all on a summer afternoon when he set his motorcycle into a utility pole at 70 miles an hour. The accident mangled his left leg. Held together by 100 staples, every ligament in his knee was torn to shreds. His life changed in an instant. He spent years battling, learning to walk once again, fighting his demons, working to get back on a basketball court, but only to have that dream die. But then he found another purpose. I will let Jay tell the rest of the story, how he went to hell and back, but ultimately reinvented himself. A guy who never did what he could have done in the NBA, but still somehow ended up back on top, best in class. So pot up, that's coming up a little bit later on, and we have your voicemails right after this word from my pals at Lumber Liquidators. It's a brand new year, and we all want to elevate our game to the next level and make 2018 the best year ever. Well, if you're a contractor, builder, or remodeler, listen up, because elevating your game this year just got a whole lot easier thanks to my pals at Lumber Liquidators and their new LL Pro Plus program. 
LL Pro Plus is Lumber Liquidator's new pro services team that you can call for all your professional flooring needs. LL Pro Plus will help you absolutely crush it this year with professional pricing and dedicated support to get you what you need when you need it most so you can get all your projects finished on time. LL Pro Plus gives you the ultimate value and quality. And with LL Pro Plus, no job is too large and no job is too small. So put the flooring experts on your team today. Today, visit your local Lumber Liquidators store or go to LumberLiquidators.com. That's LumberLiquidators.com. Look, never in my life have I been less excited to bring anything back. But after a much-needed week off, where the podcast never sounded better, by the way, I have plugged the answering machine back into the wall, if only to give some of you losers exactly what you want. See, a couple of things here. I know some of you love this voicemail, and it's the only reason you listen to this pod, which is sad. I mean, sad and pathetic, really. But it is where you live, and I do want you living here. Because maybe some of you degenerates will stick around and see what's on the other side. And that makes this segment worth it to me. The other thing is, and know this, I'm not playing. You now know that. We didn't have it last week. I will rip this thing whenever I want because it's still my podcast. And after taking that week off, it felt like the best vacation ever. So if you want to keep this thing weekly, step your game up right now. Be better, be sharper, be funnier, be tighter. Do your part. Remember, if you can do those things, you can hit me up, 949-385-0447, You have 12 new messages. First new message. Sweet home Alabama, where the skies are so blue. Sweet home Alabama, where your wife is your sister too. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim, it's your buddy, uh, Dr. Boudreaux. Want to know if you want to get cranked up at the hotel bar tonight? Have a couple drinks. How do you like them apples? Ah! Message deleted. Next message. We are the Cleveland Browns, and we are proud to be an 0-16 in a dog shit city. With Modell and Manziel, we can't beat the Bears. No good times, just bad times. It's PC's for sure. So let's have a parade so everyone else knows that we're a true disgrace. This is a big shit show. <laughs> yeah, most of us all are a fat. Bye. Message deleted. Next message. Rome. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're really inebriated and you made a phone call that you shouldn't have made? This is one of those moments. Message deleted. Next message. Rome, it's Luke in Fort Collins. Obviously, I'm calling from a state that's known for being a mile high. There's a lot harder and heavier stuff going around here than just the chronic. And your conversation with Chris Heron gave me a lot of hope that those fighting those deadly battles can come out on top with a victory and live life to the fullest. It was a great podcast. Keep it up. War you. Message saved. Next message. Jimmy. Jim from Ohio again. Love your show. I love to come home and watch your show on TV. All drunk. <laughs> message deleted. Next message. 
Jacqueline from San Diego. War lady clones. Fuck you, Dean Spanos. Message saved. Next message. Poop in the litter box. This is Griffy the cat. Meow. I got a tattoo of a sparrow on my butthole. Meow. Message deleted. Next message. Rome is Rome. He's on TV more times than Leave it to Beepa reruns. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rombo. What, what, what's the deal with Nick Foles? What kind of name is Nick Foles? Really? Foles? I don't get it, man. Nick Foles? That's not... Successful name, man. Message deleted. Next message. Fuck every NHL team except for the Penguins. Penguins for the three-peat. And Sidney Crosby is the most gorgeous player in all of NHL. Message saved. Next message. Roby, rack me. I'm out. Message deleted. You have no more messages. You know something? After a week off... Maybe I'm no longer numb to these things, but that was, you know what? That actually was pretty damn horrible. Hey, let me start with the good. Luke in Fort Collins coming in with a thoughtful, well-reasoned take. That's the first time I've said that, but thank you for the kind words about F20 with Chris Heron. Jacqueline, a San Diego lady clone. Way to keep it concise. You're not related to Lee Jenkins by any chance, are you? And our favorite Sidney Crosby fan, the captain of the Pens, with that, quote, luscious ass, is going for the repeat. The rest of you stoners and drunks, you have to do better. Step your game up. Football fans, I've got an item for you to take off your bucket list. Right, we've all got that bucket list. Here's the item to take off. You can find the very best selection of Super Bowl tickets at StubHub, all 100% guaranteed by FanProtect. Plus, at StubHub, you'll get an exclusive all-star experience before the game, free with your Super Bowl ticket. You get full access to Target Field, so you can practice your throw with NFL Hall of Famers and experience a live Jim Rome broadcast and much, much more. We did this last year. It is an amazing experience. And did we mention... It's free at StubHub. For a game this big, you want to choose the best. StubHub, your ticket out. And with all that StubHub offers you with that Super Bowl ticket, you will not find this kind of value anywhere else. I have seen this experience firsthand. It is absolutely amazing. Take advantage of it with StubHub. It's been nearly 15 years now since basketball was ripped from Jay Williams. And the motorcycle crash that defined him to so many is still something that follows him wherever he goes. But that accident was the beginning of a long road. Recovery, addiction, heartbreak, acceptance, and eventually reinvention. He's found a way to be up front with that battle. Even if it took him nearly a decade to even let that left leg be seen or photographed. And while we never, and even more tragic, he never found out whether or not he'd be that next great Chicago Bull... The guy who took MJ's locker has found a way to battle back and come to grips with everything that's happened in his life and found wisdom on that journey. Wisdom that he will share with you and wisdom that he uses to impact the world on the whole. My conversation with Jay starts right now.
Things are good, man. Other than being ran through the gauntlet here at ESPN, you know, you start Sports Center at eight o'clock in the morning, and it goes until two, and then I turn around. I got NBA and college wraps tonight until around one a.m. But uh, so, such is the life, and uh, you know, I best job ever talking about sports so it's not a bad gig no you said you said it best such is the life in fact i want to get into your journey which is amazing and i want to get your thoughts on the college game today but i want to start with what you're doing something you just mentioned i want to talk to you about the media landscape because you're killing it as e- at espn as a college analyst but you're obviously not content doing just that you've got a docuseries called best shot it's going to drop this spring start right there what's that about yeah, well, it's a really cool thing. Uh, I've known Maverick Carter, who is part of the Four Horsemen for LeBron, since we were probably in about fifth grade with the five-star together out in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And him and I have always been somewhat cool. And uh, a project came across their table about doing something impactful. And uh, if somebody were to ask me, hey, Jay, you know, what does your brand stand for within the sports, sports realm? I would say I would love to be the Oprah of the sports world. Um, how can I do things that are impactful? So we're going into Newark, New Jersey, and we're working with a basketball team called Central High School. And, Jim, I tell you, it's been one of the most uplifting things I think I've ever done, um, finding out about these kids and about their backgrounds. And we have this one kid, his name is Isaiah. He's 16 years old, and he's not in the system, but he lives by himself. He pays rent for himself. Mm. Um, and he's on the basketball team. He wakes up every morning, he goes to work for a little bit, then goes to school, and then comes and goes to basketball practice and then goes back to work. That's the way he, he lives his life at 16 years old. Um, two of these kids have dads who are incarcerated. Um, it, it's just um, doing things in order to push the envelope with them and help them recognize that, yes, this is our, our foot in the door through the vehicle of basketball, but overall we want to equip them with life skills to be to help them translate off the court, uh, just with who they are and how they are and how they react to things, and it's uh, it's been one of the most moving things I've ever done. It's been a beast to do because every Monday and Tuesday I'm in studio here in Bristol, and then Wednesday, Thursday, I'm filming with them 24/7, and then I go out to my game day duties for ESPN on Friday and Saturday. So it doesn't leave much for the personal life, consider I just got engaged. But with the exception of that. Uh, it's a hell of a project to work on, man. I really feel like I'm making a damn impact. There you go. Congrats on the engagement, and that's the whole point, right? You want to make an impact. You want to impact those around you and then the world at large. You know, it's, it's something, Jay, because you and I are very fortunate to have the jobs and the opportunities that we have with the companies we work for, right? You're with ESPN and Disney. I'm with CBS. These are blue-chip brands. They're the best of the best. It means the world to me, and I'm sure it does you. But... The world is changing so quickly. I mean, it's no longer about the brick and the mortar. It used to be that if they didn't, if you didn't get picked or they didn't make that call, you were dead in the water, but not anymore. There's so many different ways to produce and push content, like a guy that we both know, Gary Vee. This dude's like a content monster, and he didn't need a partner with anybody to do it. So my question for you is, what do you think about this kind of content creation? And in the future, where do you see it all going, and what do you see yourself doing? I love it. Uh, I invested in a company about eight years ago called The Leverage Agency. We're actually based out of 53rd and 5th, where we uh, we kind of do secondary marketing and procurement for major events across the country. So it's allowed me to really meet a ton of different CMOs and CEOs and take advantage of some of my connections from Duke and some other establishments in which my coaches at the given time coach currently now as a head coach. So I've been in the marketing game for a while. And you know, I, I've known him, Gary Vee, for a minute. Please come down to his office and you know, 
kind of went through the whirlwind of, of how Gary operates and uh, and having friends and involved in music. I've, I've been trying to take advantage of it for a while. That's, you know, seeing how companies are moving away from hiring antiquated agencies and kind of doing their own marketing in-house, uh, working with them as far as a consultant and helping them kind of discover what their brand voice is, how they want their brand voice to resonate across different social media campaigns, building out those social media campaigns for brands. Uh, and then also I've kind of invested money in my own production company where, you know, I haven't produced anything massive as of yet, but, you know, doing my own social media, I look at that as my own channel. Uh, you know, what are different narratives I want to portray each and every day? What are different things I want to talk about that I think are socially relevant? How am I pushing that narrative as well if it's something that I'm invested in? So I, I think the one, the days of kind of coming on a show and, and just narrating that show and being a traffic cop are over. You have to think about ways, how can I reinvent myself? How can I create more legs for my brands through different verticals? And uh, obviously, if you're able to tap into the business side of that, I think there's a lot of money to be made. So, you know, if it's, I've been consulting with the players Tribune for the past year and a half as far as brand content and development and, uh, you know, potentially doing those show, new shows since I'm an independent contractor with ESPN. Uh, I've been working with different brands uh, as far as working with Acura on creating new content in that realm as for our social media campaigns around March Madness or different other stories with athletes, you know, fighting through adversity. So uh, it, it's been a slow roll for me, but I feel like I'm moving in the right direction. And I'm just taking notes as I'm watching the whole media landscape change day by day. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's changing so quickly. And when we talk about athletes coming back from adversity, we'll get to your story in just one second. You know, in terms of brand and content, you wrote a great, great book. And when the book dropped, you actually came on my show and we talked about it. The book is Life is Not an Accident, a memoir of reinvention. There are any number of anecdotes that I could ask you about in that book. But I love, love, love the one you told about Jalen Rose. Remember, you went second overall. You went to the Bulls. And I mentioned Jay because I used to interview him on my show when he was at Michigan. I knew you were a fan of his from the Fab Five days. I bring up this anecdote. You write, quote, I didn't hear a damn thing Jalen said after his shirt came off. His mouth was moving, <laughs> but I just kept staring at his midsection like, damn, dude, are you serious? The funny thing is, he wasn't even a little ashamed to be so out of shape. Instead, he cracked jokes about his conditioning, end quote. I mean, Jay, at Duke, there was this incredible cultural winning. You get to the association, you're going up against the best of the best. I mean, like next-level stuff. And not only do you see a dude blatantly out of shape, you see him clowning about it. What did you think when you saw that? Well, at the age of 21, I was like, what the hell is this? You know, like, this shit is off the charts. Like, this would never happen playing for a Hall of Fame coach and Coach K. He would have slapped Jalen Silly in the face, you know, but... It was a, a mind-boggling scenario for me, but also very eye-opening because I recognize that, oh, okay, like everybody comes from different backgrounds. People have gotten here different ways. And just because I've done something one way doesn't necessarily make it the way for everybody else. Now, overall, I thought that's the direction in which the franchise wanted to go. Uh, but even back then, it was I always had this thing about me, Jim, because I was a black athlete that came from Duke University. And you know how people would label black athletes from Duke were Uncle Toms, were sellouts. And that's a problem that's, you know, systemic of deeper within the black community. You know, and I've, I've argued with people about this, and I argue with some of these kids I do best shot with on the show. I say, hey, just because I speak this way doesn't make that white. Just because I'm educated doesn't make me white. Or just because you wear your pants around your waist doesn't make you black. Like, it's more of a a societal thing it's more of a, a a culture like thing where you know the hip-hop culture whatever it may be so 
so breaking those stereotypes, and I know for my first year in the league, coming from a situation where if you showed up to practice on time, you're fucking late. If you if you if you're not staying after practice and you're not putting in an hour plus after practice and you have a bad game, Coach K is going to point to those things about you're not willing to put in the time and effort in order to reap the benefits. So coming from that background to coming to the Bulls where Jalen didn't like me because I went to Duke, he thought I was probably that. Uh, we didn't see eye to eye on certain things. And as much as he would say things to my face, I would look at him like, all right, come on, Jalen. Jalen does have a little bit of that car salesman in him, right, in a, in a, in a brilliant way. And now, I mean, I love it. I love working with him because he's one of the best in the game with the way he's able to deliver and convey messages. It's really incredible. But back then, I didn't have an understanding of that world. So we didn't see eye to eye. And, look, it was my it was my one year in the league. I wish I could go back and do things again. Um, but it was kind of a slap in the face to, no, welcome to what real life is about. Your fairy tale that you just came from in Camelot, that's not the way the real world operates. Maybe it should eventually if you run a great franchise. But uh, getting your foot in the door, that's not the way things work. Well, Jay, that's really something, what you just said. I mean, like like you have something, and this is not unusual, and I've heard this from others in your position, is if you have something to apologize for because not only are you educated, but you have a Duke education. And not only that, but you graduated in three years. Going back, and you just made it clear that you have an appreciation for Jalen, you work together now, it's all good. But when you're one year in, and you're first year in your league, and you've got somebody that you admired, and now your teammates with a peer – and he calls you an Uncle Tom, how did that make you feel, and how did you respond? Well, he didn't necessarily call me an Uncle Tom. Okay. I, but you know it was something that was on the tip of his tongue. The, the thing, Jim, that really busted the door open for me was that it was one of our first couple of games against the Celtics. And I, I played a lot of minutes, and I, I think I had, like, I don't know, double-digit points, close to 20. I had about eight or nine assists. I played a pretty good game for one of your first games as a rookie, and we won the game. So after the game was over, you know, I went back home to my apartment downtown in Chicago, and it was a great apartment. As you came upstairs, I mean, it overlooked the entire city of Chicago. And I wake up the next morning, I'm reading the paper, and there are headlines that Jalen called me a choke artist. And you're sitting there saying, okay, I just came from a situation at Duke where my overall record was 95-13. and 13. But you talk about, you know, Duke is known for the brotherhood. We, uh, I think Coach K has started that over the last couple of years. And it truly is that. When you fall down, you have four arms that are extended to you immediately to pick you back up. You know, if, if somebody puts out something about you in the media, your teammates will step in and they will back you regardless of whether you are right or wrong because you're on their team. That's how they looked at it. Um, and for me, after winning the game, to see that our captain, somebody that I admired, somebody that was part of the Fab Five with Chris Webber, somebody that started the trends culturally about – the, the way the game should be played, the way you should dress when you play the game. This guy was calling me out for something that he didn't even address to my face. You're like, oh, shit. Like, this is okay. This is cool. So now now how do I get through this? Now I just don't have enemies that I'm playing against on the court that wear different jerseys. I have enemies who are on my own team who wear the same jersey I do. So how does that translate or correlate into the basketball game? You know, my agent pulled me over 16 games in, Jim, and was like, Yo, dude, you're shooting like 28% from the field. This is not this is not the good look for you right now. This is not going to help you in two or three years with negotiations. We need you to be better. We need you to take higher percentage shots. But do you know that 80% of the shots you are taking are within three seconds or less on the shot clock? And you're like, wow, okay, maybe he's like, let's go back and watch some tape. And you start to recognize that 
sometimes in a way, maybe almost you're being assassinated. You're being sabotaged. People are throwing the ball to you with like three seconds left to go on the clock, and you recognize you're taking up all these shots that are contested within three seconds or less of the shot clock, and you're like, well, wait a second, they're doing this purposefully because now they can't get their shot off, and I'm not going to let that address you know my issues or force my hand on how I'm getting my stats up. So think about this culture that is building. All of a sudden, now I'm thinking of ways to combat not even catching the ball with three seconds or less <laughs> in a shot clock because I don't want that to fall on my stat sheet. So you're letting balls go out of bounds, and that person's giving you dirty looks, and you're saying to them, well, that's a turnover on your stat sheet, not on mine. So that's the style in which basketball became. And granted, you have a chance to work through that the more the longer you stay involved in it and the longer that you know management actually dictates how things should be or the chemistry or the leadership that should be inserted within a franchise. But I didn't get a chance to reach that level with the Bulls. So uh, I just had that first year as far as a bad taste in my mouth to a certain extent. Jay, that, that, that is some serious shit. That's unbelievable. I mean, that really is crazy. Like, we're all watching the game, but sometimes you have no idea what's going on within the game. That's an amazing, exactly. amazing story you tell. I mean, tough enough as it is, right, to be that guy and have a target on your back and try to get into the association when you know everybody's going to test you every single night without having guys that you may or may not be able to trust who may be stabbing you in the back and you think, but you don't know. Listen, let me well, that, ask that, That's what happens when the average age of your team is 23 years old and you got everybody that's trying to get a contract. I mean, Jamal and I laugh about it when we see each other. Can you imagine if Jamal Crawford and I, if I never got hurt, were in the backcourt together? Hmm. How scary would that be? Like, you talk about Russell Westbrook, and I'm not comparing myself to Russell at all, but you talk about like Russell and, and Paul George. Like I, If I never got hurt, I would love to put us up against Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Jamal was dynamic. We spent our whole first year fighting each other to see who was going to start. How could you not start Jalen Rose, Jamal Crawford, and myself together in the backcourt? That's your one, your two, your three for a long time, but we're pitted up against each other because we were still running the triangle offense. There was only room for one point guard. Then the point guard responsibility, Jamal had to play completely differently than the the, the Jamal Crawford that we've known for the past 10-plus years. The guy who's getting you 40 points, who's still doing it for Minnesota to this day at 34, 35, 36 years old. Um, so once again, it's about timing, it's about situation, and it's about personnel, and it's about coaching. So Jay, all that said, you go back to June 19th, 2003, you'd finished up a meeting with your marketing agent, Kevin Bradbury. What happened after that on that day? It was just one of those days, Jim, that I, there's a lot of stuff that we all do in this life that we shouldn't necessarily be doing. And if that's having a couple of drinks and deciding to drive home afterwards, if that's taking a chance on, on doing something a little bit idiotic that's out of your comfort zone that you just are willing to gamble with because the adrenaline rush in that given moment is higher than usual. For me, I was in a rebellious phase of my life. I was 21 years old. My dad was an alpha male. And this does not serve as an excuse at all. But I was in the state of mind that I wanted to control what I thought I could control. And I had a bike. I shouldn't have been on a bike, but a lot of guys had bikes at that time. We saw Kobe and Shaq ride up to games on motorcycles. Michael Jordan had a motorcycle you know, company, pretty much a racing team that he sponsored that he was big for. So, you know, Bill Cartwright had also gone on bike trips. He was our head coach with Harley and stuff like that on road trips. So, you know, I, I wanted to have a bike. And I finished up my meeting with my marketing agent, Kevin Bradbury, at that given time. And as I was leaving, you know, you get into one of those spats where 
somebody who loves you. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. And I'm like, well, I shouldn't be doing a lot of things, Kevin. Like, we should have went to Vegas and party. We shouldn't have took that private plane to blah, 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 and done this until the wee hours of the morning. You know, and once again, when you're younger, you have a you have a way of just justifying things to meet what you want it to be. And I was like, you know, Kevin, I can get walk. I can get hurt just walking down the street or I get hurt driving in my car or whatever. And as I was pulling away, I clicked the bike into neutral. I revved it two times. And in the middle of my third rev, the bike just popped up on me. It slipped into a different gear. And you go from, you know, going the, the speed of 40 miles per hour to going 65 miles per hour in an instant. And as I tried to grab onto the bike because I wanted to control my destiny instead of just letting go and maybe breaking a bone or getting bumps and bruises and letting the bike destroy itself, I wanted to control the bike and save the bike because I paid my own hard money for this bike. And in the midst of doing so, I grabbed the throttle even more because my momentum was shifting me backwards. And uh, next thing you know, the bottom wheel spins out. Now I'm on an angle, and I look up, and I hit, it, hit a utility pole going around 70 miles per hour. And uh, that was the day my life started. I know it's a weird mm, way to put it, right? but my life started on that day. The accident led to 10 surgeries, several months in the ICU, and no certainty whether you'd walk again, much less play again, but that was the day your life started. What do you mean by that, Jay? I think that was the first time I ever faced like real life shit, like real life adversity. And all the other accounts of adversity, you know, when I retrospectively look back on it, were things like, oh, I, you know, I have to finish school or, uh, you know, a family member gets sick. Um, I dealt with my grandmother's death, which was obviously difficult, but I didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with my grandmother. She was down in, in Florida. Um, you know, I, I dealt a little bit with my mother being beat up by my father, being raised, but once again, not being old enough to really deal with that. That happened when I was younger. So in my young adult life, this was being the first time that I had to look in the fucking mirror and actually think about who is Jay Williams, right? And Jay Williams was a different name given to me. Um, who, like, who was Jay Williams in the basketball world, but who the hell is Jason Williams and what the... What does he stand for? And I know people can say, well, you stand for this or you stand for that, but how many people in life have truly thought about what, what the hell it is that they stand for? What, what, what are things that they value? Um, and I think at 21, I was so caught up into the lifestyle of what basketball had provided. I loved playing. I still love the game. I love the game, and I was infatuated with the game. But I, it was my first taste of what it was to be – a free celebrity. When I was at Duke, you know, I was somewhat of a, a celebrity because of being on ESPN and, and playing ball, but I was in a controlled environment. Kay was brilliant with that about, you know, I pushed my limits a little bit. We talked about it in my book, but I didn't have a free life where now all of a sudden I'm the provider. You know, my, my parents are working for me and I'm making millions of dollars. Not that I was maliciously treating people wrongfully, but I think just getting caught up into this world where everything is about me all the time and not letting things be about other people um, was a selfish way to look at it. And I think when I was forced to be in the hospital and you look at the doctor, the first time you wake up with a tube down your throat after all this has occurred and the first thing on your mind 
the first thing that comes to your brain is, will I be able to play again? And having that doctor look at you and assess your body from head to toe, and in her mind, like being a point guard, being able to read how people look at situations, right? Like, think about it. I've been trained my whole life to think about, does this dude look like he wants the ball if he's in a position to make that game-winning shot? Do I need to trust this person? Is this person going to be strong enough to tell this other person on the court when they're doing something wrong, or do I need to do that for them, right? My job as a PG is to assess situations. So in my mind, that's still operating at a very high fashion. When I'm assessing what she's thinking about, I can tell in her mind that she's saying, or she's thinking to herself, how the hell am I going to tell this kid? I'm not sure if I ever fucking walk again, yet alone run, jog, play basketball against the elite of the elite in the world. So that was a moment where you, just, you talk about your soul hits rock bottom in conjunction with dealing with all the therapy, all the rehab, all the surgeries, all the mental states of depression that you go through where people are recognizing who you were, um, not who you are because you don't even know who the hell you are. People are recognizing who you were on the court and associating that with who you are uh, and being lost in, in that self-exploratory journey. Um, yet alone deal with how you answer them and all their questions about why you fucked it up or why you had to get on the bike or why would you even risk that in trying to process how you would even explain that. Um, that was the first time I had to do real gut-wrenching soul-searching in my life for Jay, myself. Jay, the type of soul-searching that none of us would ever go through because none of us have gone through that. I mean, it seems to me when you have a loss of identity, that's one thing. Like when you're used to being that guy when you walk in the room and everything stops and people look at you and they're in awe and they, they don't even know how to act. They don't know what to say. You, you were used to being that guy. I mean, loss of that, we could talk about how you process that and work through that. But to your point about when you're in rehab and you suffered various states of depression is how you just put it to me, just so people understand, because you write about this in your book, what about that state of depression? I mean, what were the depths of your depression? Uh, you know, number one, I shattered my pelvis, and I have to live with the fact that my blood flow in that region is on and off for the rest of my life. Like, I had to take the infamous blue pill every single day for multiple years in order for blood functionality to happen again back in that capacity. That's humbling, man. Um, it's humbling when your friends mess with you and, you know, you're in and out and, you know, your friends are leaving pictures of, you know, different women that try to like, they're joking with you and I'm obviously trying to make you laugh. Um, but when you have, when you have nothing that operates properly down there for the first couple of years, um, it's depressing. And then, you know, on top of that, Jim, you're dealing with the fact that my whole life I had tried to do things the right way. You know, I had a chance to leave Duke University my sophomore year, and I wanted to kill two birds with one stone. I wanted to graduate. I stayed at school. I committed myself educationally to, you know, doing more classes each summer and staying at school and constantly working on my game with this dream and aspiration to be the best of the best at the next level, but just not be the best of the best on the court. But how can I build a dynasty for myself off the court with the platform that I can leverage on the court to think of myself in that capacity as Icarus, almost to a certain degree that I can reach the sun. Next thing you know, I'm 8 million miles away from the sun. Um, one minute I'm about to screw in this light bulb and I'm starting to understand how I need to live my life 
as an NBA player, I, I don't need to be friends with everybody. I need to set the bar high for myself. I need to get back in the gym and continuously put my head down and, and grind it out. And to think that that was my fault. And when you see the Bulls, you know, barely 15, 20 days later after your accident, draft a guard that you had just played against a year prior for Kirk Heinrich from Kansas and know that, shit, like, I'm replaceable. I'm expendable, right? Um, to see your mom and dad, they've worked in multiple jobs. My dad's dream was to have a family business, how almost in a way vicariously his business aspirations were lived through me and what we could potentially accomplish. My mother spent multiple years going back to school to earn different degrees while she put me through school with my dad, while she came and picked me up after school to go back to school for herself and um, put clothes on layaway, you know, argue with my dad to let me play basketball because she believed in my dreams and to see all this stuff happen and draft my, my family be so elated. And then to see her, you know, do things with, you know, the likes of people associated with Barack Obama back in Chicago when I was there. Um, to see how I disappointed her. Um, those are all things, man, that sit with you each and every day. And when you can't move your body, when you're confined to a hospital bed, how the hell do you not think about that? How the hell do you not think about everything you threw away, just not for yourself, but for the people who love you the most? So, Jay, you go through all that, and in- inevitably you end up in a very dark place for very obvious reasons. And when you say, how do you not think about all those things? You did think about taking your own life, and not once but twice. So how and why are you still here, and how are we having this conversation? How did you get through that? Well, first off, I, I find this whole process being fucking amazing. Um, you're one of my idols I used to look to when you know, I never thought about doing sports broadcasting or being able to have in-depth conversations and, and watching you on your show, the fact that I'm having – you know, one of my second to third conversations with you over the last couple of years has been pretty cool. I don't know how the hell I'm still here, Jim. Um, I, I think a lot of it is luck. I, I didn't put myself into a rehab facility, which is not the way I recommend anybody to address any kind of addiction issues in which I had to Oxycontin uh, and alcohol for a short stint. Um, I was hard-headed, and I, I came to the conclusion that – I am not what I do. I am something completely different. And everything that has happened to me in my life has happened for a reason. I really believe that. Um, you know, there's that old saying, let go, let God. I wondered for a long time who the hell I would be if I did let go of that motorcycle. And if I did just have a couple of bumps and bruises, would I be a guy now that people will look at and think of at success because maybe I might have earned a hundred to two hundred million dollars, but what kind of person would I have been if I had continued to let that lifestyle read the direction of my soul? Um, and it was doing that. I was getting caught up in that, you know, lifestyle of doing what I wanted when I wanted, um, not really caring what the repercussions of, you know, my relationships with people were if they had went down and if they were my fault, uh, cheating on my significant other and justifying that in my own way. Uh, I'm not saying that I haven't made mistakes past that point, but 
I think being able to address everything I went through and really go back with a fine comb and lay out different things and, and really try to learn from those teachable moments to put myself on the course I am today, I had to start thinking about my life through that prism. And it wasn't until I owned that until things really started to shift for me and I started to find my way. You know, Jay, I really appreciate what you just said, and especially what you said about me. I, I, I have such immense respect for you and admiration for you because I, I can't imagine how you've been to hell and back and how you're here. You know, something you also said that's really, really fascinating to me is you had to figure out that I'm not what I do. I mean, I've seen, I've been in this game a long time. So many athletes never, ever, ever figure that out. Like, what the hell am I without the game? You had to figure out what to do without the game, and you did. It seems to me, was there not a process? Did you not get from why me, why me, to ultimately why not me? Yeah, I did. And I, I used to, that why me thing was the the victim mentality that I had for a long time, right? As you look and you watch guys that you have played against a year prior get max deals, um, you're watching this new wave of people that come into the league and one after another, one draft after another, there's always some kind of new prospect. And, and that's why I have so much empathy for guys who go through big-time accidents or injuries. Like, you know, for Gordon Hayward at Boston Celtics, like this has to be one of the most difficult times. You know why? Because nobody's talking about Gordon Hayward. Initially, when it happens, not that you feel great, it's devastating, obviously, but the flood of attention helps. It takes your mind off what you have to do, right? When you get the letters from fans, when you get people that send you baskets or bouquets um, or fruit baskets, whatever it may be, well wishes, um, you know, notes via Instagram or Twitter, whatever the vehicle of distribution may be, where people are able to bring light to your life and then all of a sudden, when all that fades away and everybody gets back to their lives, it's just new. You're left to deal with all that on your own. And that left me in a perpetual state of why me. It wasn't until I go back to that moment, until there was that pivotal pivot in my life, that I started saying, why not me, that mentally I started building my own strength to deal with my own issues and others, other people's issues that they would address with me head on, right? Because then that's when you start to recognize, okay, I just had this career devastating accident. I just had my pelvis shattered. Uh, I just had my knee completely dislocated. I tore every ligament in my knee. I tore my peroneal nerve. Uh, I may have dropped foot for the rest of my life. I may not be able to run and get back on the court. But God damn it, like, I'm built for this shit. Like, this is going to make me stronger. You know why? Because if it can't make me stronger, it's going to make me weaker. And it's going to make me roll over and quit. And I don't want to quit anymore. Obviously, if I'm still here after two times of trying to quit, there's a bigger purpose for me. So, believe it or not, like, I started drinking my own Kool-Aid. I started believing in my own hype. Like, there's a purpose here for me. Now, did I know what the hell that purpose was? No, I had no fucking clue. But... It was the first time that I recognized that strength. And then after that, it was like, all right, how do I ideate the process of helping myself find out what that purpose is? And I think that's the first time I started thinking about, I'm going to form a board. I'm going to, you know, the board of an of a organization or a company is to meet quarterly to do what's in the best interest of the company and to assess what happened the first quarter 
And then, hey, you know, what's currently happening now? How can we change that second quarter? How do we change that going into Q3? How can we hit our benchmarks for Q3? Overall, how can we attain the success level we want for Q4? And in my own life, I'm like, why the hell am I not looking at my life like a company? Who the hell is currently on my board? I'm like my 18-year-old drug dealer that meets me down at Lower East Side to give me oxycodone. Like some of my friends that I just shoot the shit with and don't talk about anything of substance because I'm drinking and I'm hammered. Like those are the people on my board right now. Okay, I think I have to change that. So I started to surround myself with people that helped me to a higher standard than what I helped myself to. And that made me accountable. And that was one of the first times in my life outside of the realm of basketball that I was accounted for. And I started to process where I wanted to be, and I started to put that in action. You know, it's amazing. And, and I'm sure this notion of a personal board, I'm sure you still do that, and I'm sure it's still a process. Jay, before you go, go back to this, because you made this point that I got to a point of accountability, responsibility, and I knew, quote, I was built for this shit. I knew I was built for this shit. And you were. You were a world-class athlete with a world-class work ethic. Now, if somebody's listening and somebody's suffering and somebody's depressed and they feel like there's no hope and there's no way out, what if they're not built for this shit? In other words, are we all built for this shit or what if they're not? How do they start to dig their way out of whatever it is they're dealing with and what's your message? Well, I think the first, the first step to any of this is you have to start writing down what are your goals and aspirations, right? Like visually seeing something, and I, I, I would say that everybody's built for this shit. Every person that I met is successful, and it depends on how you define success. For me, it's about being happy and being almost feeling like your life is complete, like your life is never complete, but that you're living each and, each and every day to the best of its capacity, right? So who are you surrounding yourself with that will help you get there is number one. Are you surrounding yourself with people that are positive influences on your life? Or are you surrounding yourself with people who are also chained to the misery of their past? Because, uh, you know, being around one helps the other just accomplish his goal, right? So, like, that's number one. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Number two, man, is, like, you have to speak, speak your shit into existence. And I know this shit sounds corny, Jim, but it really works, man. I'm telling you, I, I know so many people that have a tendency to focus on the negative. And for me, like I, there are negatives that happen every fucking day, but I find the silver lining, right? Um, you know, I dealt with a couple of things over the last couple of years, uh, bad relationship-wise. And, you know, for a minute, it was like, well, what am I doing? And then you have to start recognizing, okay, like this has all prepared me for what's next. Like I have to believe that. Uh, with you know, jobs, jobs being up in the air, a lot of layoffs going on. How do I reinvent myself? How am I constantly evolving as a person? I think everybody has it. It's a matter of buckling down and being disciplined to find that space. If you can find that space, that's why I love watching guys like Tom Brady, right? We talk about Tom Brady or even LeBron, and we love to criticize all these guys. But each and every day, these motherfuckers wake up, and it's like, how the hell am I taking over the world today? Like, yesterday was cool. It's cool that I got five Super Bowls. It's cool that I got multiple championships, but you know, I'm trying to win this right now. I'm trying to be the best I can be right today. And if that's not enough, then I need to work better tomorrow and harder. Like I want to be around people like that, that inspire me each and every day to find the best version of myself. That's what moves the needle.
Jay, what the fuck is that, by the way? And, I, and I've been doing this a long time. And I, every time I get a guy like this, I ask the question, what is that with Tom Brady? How can a guy at that age who has accomplished that much, who has everything, there is nothing left to play for, how does he continue to pay that price? What gets him out of bed in the morning? And how is he still focused on that? What's he focused on? LeBron, Tom Brady, Kobe back in the day. How can these guys grind at that level when they've already been to the top of the mountain? Because every time a guy like that hears people like us say, what the fuck else does he have to play for, makes them recognize that they have everything in the fucking world to play for. Do you understand what I mean? I see like, it. Hearing people say that. It's fuel. It's like, it's like when people come up to me like, oh, man, you're killing it. You're an ESPN. You have a production agency. You work for the marketing company. You guys are doing this deal with LeBron. This seems dope. I'm like, yeah, that's just cool. But wait until you see what's about to come. Mm. Like, and I'm not comparing myself to Kobe or LeBron or Tom, but like, Certain people have that genetic quad, man, and it's something that each and every day, it's like, you know, today doing Sports Center, people are like, you know, why are you here all day long? You're going to be here again tonight. I'm like, because you guys have put me in a box about college basketball forever, and I'm showing you guys that I can talk about 30 NBA teams in my sleep and in detail about what each team has to do in order to get better or what's going on with the Cavs right now and Kevin Love. Why is he being scapegoated? Why is he the only one out of this team meeting that happened yesterday that you know has leaked out about what Kevin Love needs to do when everybody else was talking about their issues too, from Ty Lue to LeBron to J.R. Smith to Iman Shumpert to Tristan Thompson with the Kardashian sisters. Like, are they doing that to, for trade bake? Like, you know, what's going on with Kawhi right now? Like, I'm full of piss and vinegar where I'm trying to come at everybody and say, uh, like, I'm, I'm a work in progress and I'm constantly trying to be better. And that's never going to stop regardless of whether I work at ESPN or I work at CBS, whatever it is. Like, I want to be the best version of myself. Jay, that's, that's incredible. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. Last thought, you mentioned the Cavaliers. It, you and I could do this for hours, but I really want your thoughts on that. You know, if you, if you pick a guy and there's a meeting, a team meeting, where allegedly, reportedly, look, I was not in that meeting, so I don't really know, but I've seen the reports. If you've got guys accusing another guy of feigning an illness to get out of a game and then the practice the next day, and then the report is that guy sits down with his teammates and then it's better – is it like if you had to guess on the outside looking in, what the hell is going on with the Cavaliers right now? You know, it, it, it's been the same shit that we've seen year after year with Cleveland. The, the difference is that this year's team doesn't have Kyrie Irving. And I'll tell you what else, Jr. Like it makes you think about why Kyrie really left, right? Like if, if you if you listen to people, people will inevitably show you who they are. And I'm not saying this pertains to just management. I mean, but Management made some issues there. Uh, obviously, LeBron is trying to do a lot for this team. But think about how many situations Kyrie bailed him out of this year. And now the average age of this team is 30 years old. You replace Kyrie with Isaiah Thomas, who's coming off injury, who's a year away from being actually ready to be impactful. And, you know, IT talks about how great his Boston Celtics team was defensively, but that wasn't because of IT. That was because of having Marcus Smart. That was having Avery Bradley. That was having Al Horford. That was having Jalen Brown. That was having Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder looks old. Like I did video today on SportsCenter where he got involved in a PNR from a guard to guard, and instead of just keeping his ass towards the baseline and rotating out against Paul George, like he spun around. Like it, it's the nuances of the game that I think are being overlooked. And the fact is, this team needs to be younger. Now, look, could they turn around? Yeah, they can turn around. 
But realistically, is anybody beating Golden State? No. Even if they do turn around. I, I, I don't know if you need to try to get IT, for, you know, get Kimba Walker for IT if you try to get more of a wing, but it almost seems to me, regardless of whatever the hell the Cavs decide to do, if they don't give up that Brooklyn protected first-round pick, you're still not going to have enough to beat Golden State. So what does that say about LeBron? Does he stay in Cleveland? Do you give that pick up knowing that regardless of whatever you do, you're not going to – I mean, even when Steph isn't playing, they're still beating people by 20 points. It's ridiculous. Um, I don't see anybody in the East that actually has a chance to beat Golden State. Now, Milwaukee is trying to figure things out. If you talk about a team with personnel – actually have the versatility to defend every position to get Jabari Parker back. That could be a difference maker. Um, but unfortunately, regardless of whatever the Cavs do, I still don't see them beating Golden State in the finals. What do you say you take a look in the mirror? Now, what is it that you didn't do last year that you absolutely have to do in 2018? Work out more, lose weight, make more money, be a better person. Yeah, that's all fine and well, but the most important thing you can do to improve your health, well-being, and energy is to stop snoring and get a Zipa. If you snore, you need to stop. Snoring is not sleeping. Every time you snore, both you and those next to you do not get quality sleep. How sleep deprivation impacts your life is immeasurable. What is proven is that Zipa is guaranteed to stop snoring and what better way to start your year. Get a Zipa. Go to Zipa.com. Z-Y-P-P-A-H.com. Make this new year a new you. Do not procrastinate. Go to Zipa.com. That's Z-Y-P-P-A-H.com. Let's agree that 2018 is the year that you stop snoring. If you already use a Zipa, congrats. If it's been six months or more, you need a new Zipa. Again, snoring is rude, disrespectful, and embarrassing. Relationships are in constant strain because snoring keeps people from staying in the same bed all night. So this is your opportunity. Get a Zipa. Go to ZYPPAH.com and make this new year a new you. Do not wait. Go to Zipa.com. That's ZYPPAH.com. Honestly, just when I think this thing can't keep getting better, Jay Williams comes through like an absolute boss on episode 21. What an amazing conversation that was. If you have thoughts on what you just heard, hit me up on Twitter. Make sure you tag Jay Williams in it. His handle is at RealJWilliams. Also, if you don't know it yet, our daily radio program is now a daily simulcast. So you can hear the show on CBS Sports Radio and you can watch it on CBS Sports Network. It airs every single day from noon to 3 Eastern, 9 to noon Pacific, and it is popping off. Make sure you find it. You're going to love it. Again, thank you so much for listening, and make sure you're subscribed, and be sure to leave a review if you don't mind, and then be sure to check back for F22 sometime next week from Minnesota, on site from the Super Bowl. Until then, I am out.